Hello, everyone. My name is Phil Calvert, and a very warm welcome to the Financial Advisor Mastermind and Challenge. Throughout this week, advisors, leading experts, and consultants to the financial planning profession are sharing amazing insights into just what makes a world-class financial advice business. Today, I'm really delighted to be speaking with someone who is pretty well-known throughout the financial advice community. He's the founder of a boutique consulting firm that helps financial planning professionals create financially and personally rewarding businesses. He's also one of the few people throughout the profession who, when he speaks at industry events, I will go out of my way to go and hear him, even if I've seen him speak many times before. Brett Davidson, a very warm welcome to you. How are you? I'm great, Phil, and uh, thanks for having me along. Oh, it's, uh, it's fantastic to have you. We're really looking forward to having a chat this afternoon uh, and to hearing how you feel the financial advice profession is, is moving or not, as the case may be. So for those of you that, that don't really know you, just can you give us a bit of a backstory and tell us... Uh, how you came to be where you are to do today, where you started, and so on. Yeah, so let me sort of try the short version. You know, I, I joined uh, the financial services industry in Australia as a commission-only, you know, advisor. January 91, it was George Bush's first Gulf War. It was a recession in Australia. Uh, so, you know, everything was not really uh, lining up in my favour. But hated uh, that job, hated the industry. Uh, and fortunately for me, a few years in, financial planning became a thing in Australia. I got qualified. The firm I was in was very forward thinking. So we embraced that whole philosophy. And, and that's when I discovered, if you like, a love for, for, for the profession. So I was in that business uh, for 14 years, um, then sort of uh, had a bit of a, a falling out with my partner about future direction. So I left. Uh, he brought out my sort of stake that I'd earned in the business. And I came to the UK. Uh, I'd met my wife in Australia, but she's English. So we moved back here. And then I set up FP Advance, you know, 14, 15 years ago uh, to help uh, UK advisors go through some of the change that I'd been through moving from like a, an old school model, I call it, to a, to a modern financial planning business. And so I've spent the last 15 years doing that here. That's, that's really interesting because I think many financial advisors in the UK have in the past certainly looked to Australia uh, to, to take, a, take a lead from them, see what they're doing. And it was very often the case that what was going on in financial planning in Australia would, would definitely come over here. I think from my own perspective now, it seems to have perhaps switched to the United States. Uh, we seem to be uh, looking at what's going on over there and thinking, well, that's going to come on here. So how have you seen change? What sort of changes have you seen taking place in the 14 years that, that you've been over here? Yeah, so when I first arrived, I, I think pe a lot of people said to me, you know, there's this gap there, the Australian market's well ahead and whatever. And, and I've got to be honest, I took it with a grain of salt. You don't know whether people are winding you up or, or whatever, but... Um, I think that was probably true. The, the advent of rap platforms came, you know, a decade earlier than the UK. And when I arrived here, what was it, 2004, all that was just, uh, you know, uh, becoming a thing. That the early adopters were getting onto Transact and other things like that. So um, there was, was this change. Now, uh, after I'd been here five years, I went back to Australia, hoping to catch up with all my old mates and find out the next amazing shit that they'd been doing and went back and just discovered that nothing had changed and what I think has happened in the last 15 years is you know the UK has just sort of become you know very much like what the modern financial planning market looks like and all right we might be able to split hairs about this and that yeah. but Australia hasn't moved on much for me so the model is the model is the model 
Um, yeah. The US has always been the place of, of real uh, out there innovation, I think. Uh, you know, Aussies have been going over there for years to find inspiration. Um, so I, I, think, I think from the UK, yeah, that's, that's the market I'd be dipping into to look for the, the, the great and the good of what's next. Yeah, yeah. So what are the, what are the issues today that um, are, are really are, are big for financial planners? Um, many will probably be aware of what's important to be focusing on right now, but for the benefit of those that, that uh, want to go to the next level, what should they be focusing on right now? Yeah, look, I think there's probably uh, there's probably a million things, but the big ones that I know are hot at the moment. You know, I've I've maintained for years um, that it's not enough to be a great advisor. You have to become a business person because even even if you're going to run a business in your back bedroom, it takes real skill to not have to build a team and to not get bogged down in admin and whatever. I don't care what size business you are man, you need to be a good business person. And if you're going any bigger than working from your back bedroom, now we're talking about finding a team to support you because you don't want to be doing all the crappy parts of the job. And, you know, they're probably the two big issues I'm working on with most firms at the moment. The people issue is so tough uh, in the current environment. Every firm I know, I don't care where they're based in the UK, are struggling to find people. It's yeah. really a tight market. So if that's you... Uh, don't beat yourself up. It's tough everywhere. Yeah. So what sort of specific things? I saw you wrote a blog quite recently about delegation and, and how important that is. What sort of jobs are people doing in their firm that, frankly, they really shouldn't be and they should be passing to other people? Well, look, it's, it, it's, this is an exercise that one of my good friends, a colleague, Tracy Underwood, got me to do with a group. She's a practice management person, but she, she got us to list in the first column um, what was it? Uh, you know, uh, the things, the jobs that only uh, you can do. And if you think about that as the owner manager in your business, the jobs that only you can do are probably seeing the clients. Maybe it's making a few strategic decisions and maybe it's a bit of rainmaking, right? If you're a small firm, that's it. Then she got us to list in the second column all the jobs you currently get involved in or touch which ends up being a bloody long list of stuff that we hate doing. And then in the columns to the right, she listed people like paraplanners, administrators, personal assistants, you know, outsourced suppliers, where you might be able to move that second column of jobs to get them off your plate. And, and it was a quite a powerful exercise. When you look at it that way, it's easier to think about, um, you know, the jobs you should do, not a very long list, and then anything else you're getting your fingers in is ripe for being delegated to someone at some point on the journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the issues that seems to come over loud and clear in our uh, forums um, is the business proposition. What is it you're actually selling? Um, and I, I guess there are still financial advisors that, that are waking up every day and they're beginning to realize, so we don't get commission anymore. Um, we've got to charge for what we do. Um, what do we do to our business so that people go, oh, yeah, I've got to go with them. What, what are the good people doing when it comes to proposition? Yeah, I think, and, and let me say, I think this is more nuanced than everyone gives it credit for. You know what, if you run around telling clients that you can pick funds in the market, there's loads of people who are going to believe that and you'll probably still be in business. But is it a great proposition as investment management is becoming more commoditized? And I think it is. 
um, then then getting off that is is really the step to uh, differentiating your business and giving yourself a proposition with longevity. And I think the great financial planning firms have upped their skills on asking great questions and helping people remember what they really want to do with their lives. Because I think people know, but they forget. I don't know about you, life gets busy, gets overwhelming, and I can forget that you know, it, it wasn't my goal in life to be doing the washing up and buying food and cooking meals and all that stuff. So, so great advisors are going down you know, sort of the, the, the life planning route, the, the, the skills in questioning route, where they're asking people stuff that allows them to realise that you know, the jobs they're doing, the families they're raising, you know, that's, that's part of the bigger picture of what they want to achieve in their lives. And great financial planners can help you get back on track and keep you on track and take care of, I'll call it the everything else, the tax issues, the financial issues, the investment issues that most people don't have the time or the inclination to get involved in. So I don't know if that sounds a bit airy-fairy, but it's delivered well. Uh, it's, it's hugely powerful and people will pay good money for that. It's nothing so, to do with investment. That's really interesting. So life planning seems to have become more of just the latest thing. Um, what if George Kinder had never turned up? Uh, do you think we'd still have gone down that route? Well, look, and, and I... I with, I, I love George, right? And, uh, and whether people love him or don't love him, that's a personal choice. But I love George. And, but, I, you know, I've, I've always maintained that what, what, what he's done, and it's, uh, I think the questions in particular I'd not seen before I met George, but what he's done is just showed us what financial planning done well. And I know he's built a brand and it's called life planning and it's all that stuff and, and hats off, that's great. But lots of good planners I know have been doing, you know, uh, variations of that theme for a while as well. And, and I think that's the key. It's not whether we buy into one person's methodology mm. or whether we want to call it financial advice, financial planning, life planning. You know, it, it's not about the terminology. It's about you in front of the client, uh, you know, providing something for them that, that they can't really get anywhere else. Yeah. And this kind of suggests to me that uh, interpersonal skills uh, is becoming supremely important. And I know that's very much part of your proposition when you're working with firms. Just, just tell me a bit about, uh, about what advisors need to be working on. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's always been the core skill, hasn't it? If you're just, you know, I say just, if I'm just a salesperson, well, interpersonal skills are, are everything. But I think, I think you're right. They're becoming even more of, a, of, of an essential you know, uh, skill and, and standing still at your current skill level is not enough. I think the goalposts are shifting and shifting and shifting uh, as, as things become commoditized. So, you know, the key skill set is having uh, interesting questions to ask people and the, the emotional intelligence to be able to shut up and leave them the space uh, to, fill that, to fill the vacuum that you leave there. And, and that's an art in itself. Most of us can't shut up. Uh, it's a very good point. Yeah, um, particularly me. So what about um, as firms develop themselves and they develop their proposition and they, they develop their skills as well, what are you seeing in terms of how the best firms are segmenting their clients? I mean, there was a day before when we had gold, silver, bronze or whatever it was, and then suddenly that became very popular. And now I'm hearing a lot of people saying, well, actually, that's all a bit old hat now. How, what's your view on it? 
Yeah, look, I think um, the way we've always taught it, you know, we've, we've got people to initially segment by value. That means the people paying the most are at the top and the people paying the least are at the bottom. Uh, and that's a pyramid. You know, there's a few people at the top, like first class on the plane is not very well populated. Uh, economy, there's a few more bodies. So we've done that as a starting point only. But once we get them into those groups, then we're trying to find out you know, what, what are the, the top five issues or concerns that different types of people have within your client base? And, and if you look at some of the stuff we've been talking to people about for years, you know, we, we talked about uh, delegation style clients, people that just would come in and say, mate, I want to play golf and go sailing. You take care of everything. We then had people that we called uh, involved and direct clients where they were typical control freak business owners who, if I had have said to them, mate, give it all to me and I'll look after it, they would have said, not on your Nelly because I'm a control freak. So we, we created a service that gave them the feeling of being in control uh, of, of, what, of their finances. Uh, and so, you know, out the back, it looks pretty, pretty similar to what we do for everyone else, but there's a communication style, a way of, of dealing with those people that, that allows them to, to feel that, that sense of control. Right. So segmentation has always been about finding out what are the needs and the drivers uh, for a particular group of people. What, what common needs do they share? What common values, uh, you know, what, what common challenges do they face? And getting them into a group so that we can deliver something that's, that's nicely presented and packaged for that group. So um, are, you, are you suggesting that or are you saying or, or do you even see amongst the firms that really get this right um, are they focusing on specific niche types of clients? Uh, how, do, how does it generally look to you? Yeah, I think to be fair, I'm thinking most people are not doing anything like that. You know, if you listen to all the marketers, everyone says you need to find a niche and you need to get after it. And everyone's scared witless of doing that. They think niche, oh shit, that means I'll have less people and I'll go broke, yeah. uh, which is clearly not true. I, I like the Seth Godin explanation. He says, you need to find your minimum viable audience, the, the minimum audience that will sustain you and then become an expert in getting to know that audience. And he says, you know, the irony is in our marketing, we try and make ourselves appeal to everyone, which we all know means we sort of appeal, you know, appear generic and appeal to no one. When we go after that minimum viable audience, we can start to become um, you know, an expert in the space. And when you become an expert in the space, amazingly, people start to find you and seek you out. Yeah, and and yeah. that's why I think this niche is absolutely critical. You know, you don't have to get rid of so many clients that you send yourself broke, that's suicidal, but we're not talking about that. The, the positive way to look at it, uh, and, and this is a question we ask in our courses, is who do you love to serve? Right? And I use that word deliberately, not, not like a bit or like a lot. I mean, I love to serve these people. Mm. Now, they're in your client data already. You can find those people. And if you've been around for 30 years, there'll be quite a cohort of those people sitting in your current data. Now, we don't have to go and sack everyone else necessarily, but we could double down on saying, I want more of that type of person and brand up, package up, message up, to attract more of those people and, and five years down the track, now you've got something amazing that's a joy to work in. Yeah, yeah. Um, in another of these interviews that I've done, I've been talking to Bill Cates, the referral expert um, out in the US, and he was telling me that he knows of a financial advisor in the States 
whose entire niche market is bass fishermen um because they they love what they do they enter all the competitions the prize money is huge he's a bass fisherman himself and to me i thought that's a that's a niche yeah yeah and and yet if you, if we go back to the question who do you love to serve he's probably going i love to serve bass fishermen i know yeah. it i like it i get where they're coming from you know simple as that yeah you know think of it the alternative way i, I know every time i ring my bank uh, within the first millisecond of the conversation with the banking business manager, I think in my brain, you do not understand me. Takes him that long, right? A millisecond to convince me that he has not a fucking clue about what I do. Yeah. So this is the thing. In your niche, you, you need to... The reason we want to develop that love and that expertise for that niche is when they walk in and we start to talk within a millisecond, they think, wow, this person really gets me. And that's, that's all we're looking for. Yeah. And that makes the marketing of your business and your proposition so much easier. I know marketing is an area that you cover. So uh, aside from those that have got their segmentation right, they've got their niche right, what good practice do you see amongst firms that are, that are getting their marketing right? It's not all just about referrals, is it? No, and, and, and to be honest, most firms don't, don't do much proactively on referrals. Like there might be some out there, but I've, I've hardly met any in my career. I know everyone talks about it, but a lot of firms do get, um, you know, a, a regular lead flow from their clients. And what we find in, in all my consulting work, often people will ring and say, Brett, my big priority is how do I find more of the right types of clients? And so we'll start to work together. And... We don't spend any time on the marketing, but we think about who do you love to serve? What are your client segments? What are their needs? Let's put some packages together that talk to those people. Let's make sure your pricing's right. Let's make sure that you're talking to people correctly in the first meeting and the subsequent stuff. Let's make sure you've got the right team around you and we handle stuff professionally. When all that comes together, often we never get to the marketing because bigger and better clients are coming in in larger quantities. And I don't even know how it works, Phil but it happens every time. Uh, you know, when you get your ducks in a row, it's amazing how somehow uh, people start to, to get a vibe and start to knock on your door. That's interesting. So, uh, and you alluded to this earlier, so it's focus on the business, uh, the professionalism of your business and the skills that need to go with that. So when you're, when you're working with a firm for the first time um, and you go in to see them, uh, what typically are the first things that, that you're asking them about and, and that you're looking for? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm doing a smell test. Um, I, I'll give you a quick example of this. We had a client, um, and, and advisors will, will relate to this. We had a client in my old business in Sydney who made wooden Venetian blinds, right. okay, so worked with timber. We went out to his factory one time, and I swear to God, there was not a speck of sawdust on the floor. That's all I remember. Yeah. Now, all that said to me was this man runs a brilliant business. And, and he did, as we subsequently found out over months and years. So when I walk into a firm, I guess I'm doing that smell test. You know, what am I seeing? What am I sensing? And certainly we're going to talk to people and ask them how they feel, you know, what works, what doesn't. But typically it will come down to, um, you know, is the team right? Is the offering right? You know, do they have the right skills in, 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 in the advisory team to, to do what they want to do? And, and clearly, there's usually room for improve, improvement on the business management side. 
okay. you know, having regular meetings at leadership level, communicating with the team, that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, I guess a, a guy told me years ago that, you know, success in most endeavours comes down to being able to do half a dozen things pretty well. And I think that's true in half a dozen things, if you get them right, you're going to have a pretty good life. Yeah. I have, I have a, a friend who uh, does what you do in the car industry. Um, and he goes into car dealerships that are doing okay, but could do an awful lot better. Um, and day one, within the first hour, the very first thing he gets everybody in the team doing is he goes to the boot of his car, opens it up and gets out a load of yard brooms. Um, and he says, we start here with brushes. Um, and, uh, and, and he's wearing an immaculate suit. He used to be in the army, uh, and that's very much his style. And it seems to be similar to, to, uh, to what you're saying there. So how do you see the future for financial planning firms? What, what are the kind of issues that, that they're facing? Um, and are they ready for it? Oh my goodness. I, the truth is I have no idea. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in two camps. Um, as, as the whole robo thing took off, and, and I, we haven't seen the end of that yet. This no. is just the beginning. Um, but, you know, there was a part of me thinking, uh, you know, there's, there's going to be challenges. Inevitably, there's going to be challenges and threats from tech, artificial intelligence. You know, I'm seeing a lot of financial planning work now being talked about being done by artificial, artificial intelligence. So not just investment stuff, but a lot of the more complex stuff that I would have thought, um, you know, we might have been able to hang on to but there's part of me that thinks if you're brilliant at the relationship piece so the things we were talking about before the questioning the listening the helping people sort out their own stuff that consultative selling style yeah. then there's always going to be a role for you so there's a part of me that believes that to be true but there's also a part of me that thinks thinks of uh, you know Clayton Christensen's the innovators dilemma you know where he talked about how how industries get disrupted uh, and there was a, he uses a multiple uh, a range of examples but the one I remember was the car industry in the US you know Toyota entered the market in 1958 and made small fuel efficient vehicles well Americans don't buy those do they no. and so Ford GM Chrysler did nothing and it was it was a, the right decision to do nothing because that's not their market but they get a foothold in that space then they start making mid-sized vehicles, then they start making luxury vehicles, and next thing you know, 40 years later, they're the number one car maker in the US. And I can see all the spaces we don't want to play, low-value clients, people with small accounts, people that don't really need financial planning, that's where all the technology is trying to find a way to resonate with those people. Uh, when it does, um, man, then I think we, we've got some challenges because they will move up from that space. So, so I'm torn. I don't know what the future looks like any more than you do, uh, but I can see a positive version and I can see a, a horrible dystopian version as well. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, advisors I talk to, uh, when we talk about life planning, the, words, the word coaching seems to come up quite a lot. Um, and I'm just wondering if we're seeing any kind of uh, the start of a change where an advisor becomes... Um, well, truly, that trusted advisor that uh, that we've all talked about, but someone who goes beyond just being an advisor about your investments, your money, and your uh, retirement, and, and so forth. Um, do you see any of that amongst the firms that you're working with? 
Yeah, I, I would have thought that all the great firms are already doing that, to be honest, and have done it, you know, of a fashion for a long time. You know, we could always get better at that skill. I think that's a lifelong learning thing. But I, I would buy into that, that that whole coaching skill set, um, you know, is is really the essence of that, you know, of helping people in their, their relationships with money and their lives. And so that's sort of what we do. How far that goes, I think you can go too far as well. Um, but but I think I think you have to find where your line is. Sometimes you find that by taking a step too far, that's okay. But but then you know where that boundary ends for you in your relationship with that person. But I, I think Good Firm's been doing that for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it, it's, it, it seems to be an extension of life planning, um, but I do know that quite a few advisors feel that coaching were just, just a bit too uncomfortable um, for them. Yeah, and I think I think people rail against life planning. People rail against financial planning. And I look, I always think you know that that scene in uh, the Life of Brian, where they're talking about the Judean people's front and the people's front of Judea and arguing over nothing. That's what this is. <laughs> call it call it late for lunch for all I care. But you know what it is. Go and do it. Don't I, get I think caught certainly up. a case of, of moving forward and looking forward um, in their business as well. Um, I know one or two advisors, um, I joke about this, but it's true, who are still pretty pissed off about the end of LAPR, uh, life assurance premium relief for, for some of our younger ones. I mean, things do move forward. Are, are the top firms, we, we talk about artificial intelligence, the, the top firms who really understand they're working on their interpersonal skills, to what extent are they actually embracing technology in addition to what they're doing? I, I think all the, the really forward-thinking people are desperately searching for great tech. But you know what? It's very, very difficult to find. And I've, I've lamented this with uh, a few people who, who were into the whole tech scene. And, you know, the feeling is that you go to America and you see some of the tech that's being built there. Now, again, you talk to the Americans, it's not half as good as it looks online. Uh, so there's always that, that perception gap. But a lot of that stuff we're never going to see because they're not going to bring it to the UK. The market's too small. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and unless someone here builds it and financial services, financial planning, financial advice is a pretty small base of people to sell software to. So I don't know what's going to happen on that front. Are people going to start having to build their own? Um, you know, I don't know. And that, that's a rabbit hole you really don't want to go down. Now you're in the software development business, which is not what we do. So, so I'm, I don't know what the answer is to that one. People at, at the, the pointy end are looking and looking for ways to improve delivery and serviceability using tech. But how that plays out, I'm not really sure at this stage. Yeah, yeah. So the firms that are focusing on a high quality, very personal, um, trusted financial planning service, I guess we ought to, to touch on charging. Um, I saw you wrote uh, on a blog recently, uh, how important it is to position your business where you are heading, not where you've come from. Um, and I can see a lot of sense in that. Can you, can you just expand a little on that? Yeah, so, so look, this is another one that I think is a really tricky issue. Um, yeah, what, what I was trying to say in that comment is like, you know, just because we've done it a certain way for the last 20 or 30 years doesn't mean that that's how we'll do it in the future. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't want that to be taken as that means you have to stop charging asset-based fees or whatever. I think they are, there's, there's a lot of talk about that. There is some pressure in some consumer segments, but it's certainly not everyone. 
And in the segments that most advisors still work with, you know, retired baby boomers, I'm not even sure it's a big deal there at this point in time. So that doesn't mean that if you want to go and charge flat fees or do it another way, you shouldn't do that. I think this is very much about what do you believe, what's right for the client segments that you're serving. We may have different charging strategies even for different segments in the same business. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my point was, let's not be... Uh, you know, sitting here thinking that, you know, nothing needs to change. I think this is something we're going to be looking at, you know, every every 12 to 24 months, you need to be having a good look at what you're doing on the charging front and think, is this still fit for purpose? Is it still fit for the people that we're looking to attract into the business? And yeah. we do want to be positioned for where the markets are moving, not not where they've come from. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, um, you are incredibly prolific in terms of the amount of content that you put, you put on, put online. And, and I know you do, uh, the majority of your work is face to face within a firm, getting your, your sleeves rolled up, but you put a lot of stuff online as well. Um, and I know you're about to launch a, a new online course, uh, uncover your business potential. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how people could benefit from that? Yeah, so look, we've been running a face-to-face course called Uncover Your Business Potential for the last four or five years, and that, that we have an intake every June. That, that's going very well. Um, we realised we had um, what I'll call great free stuff and then sort of great premium stuff, uh, but nothing in between. And, and so we, we turned the Uncover Your Business Potential live course, we've turned that into an online self-study version, a, a membership subscription service where you can get in there and take yourself through that for sort of 99 quid a month. And, uh, and so that's just gone live now. If you go to our website, you can find details about it. Um, but it's really, it's really trying to make stuff accessible, again, for different segments in the marketplace. There's a group who want to come and do it face-to-face, but I think there's an emerging group. Everyone's getting much more comfortable uh, with studying at home in their office, and, and we just wanted to make that stuff available to them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Well, we'll put links uh, to it. Uh, so that's called Uncover Your Business Potential online course. And over ha- what length of period is that? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a, a subscription service. So you, you just pay for it monthly and you use it for as long as you like. The truth is we, we, we've got, um, you know, months of material up there. We'll be adding to it every month. This is going to be a, an evolving library of stuff. But you're probably looking at two or three years of that would get you, uh, you know, a massive way down the road on your business journey. Yeah, fantastic. Brett, this has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, uh, it's quite difficult to put the entire financial planning profession uh, to rights uh, in just the limited time we have, but I uh, really appreciate your time today. Uh, one of the things that, that we're asking uh, all, all our guests, if they could set a challenge uh, for the advisors who are watching this. Um, so if you were going to set a challenge, what would that be? Yeah, so I, I would suggest uh, that, that people think about uh, this question and, and think about it over the next 30 days. It's not one that you'll sit down and come up with a bolt from the blue in three seconds. So go back to it a few times in the next month. But, you know, what's, what's, what's the goal for you and your business that's bigger than money? Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk to clients and say, what are your goals for the future? Everyone trots out, you know, the numbers for their business. But I, I want you to think about what's your goal that's bigger than money? What's the thing that really drives you? And, and, and to ponder on that for, a, for a, a solid month and see where that takes you. Because if you can find the answer to that question, you've, you've found your driver, your, 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 your why that comes from your heart. And I think that's the key to doing something amazing in your business. 
Fantastic. That's a great one. Thank you very much indeed. We've had some amazing challenges. Uh, for the benefit of our viewers, um, everybody will have the opportunity to join a private online forum where you can look through all the challenges that we've been uh, set by our guests. Uh, you'll be able to ask questions. You can share information on how you're getting on with, your, with any of the challenges and you can get accountability partners as well. So once again, Brett, thank you so much um, for your time today. Uh, if people want to talk to you, where can they find you? Uh, go to our website at fpadvance.com. Everything you need to know is on there. Great. Superb. Brett Davidson, thank you so much for your time today. Very much appreciated. And thanks to everybody else for watching. And we'll see you on the next video. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Phil.